Well, good morning, everybody. It is so good to see you here this morning. And for those of you who are going to donate candy and eggs, if you just forget and you happen to buy candy with chocolate, you're like, oh, no, I bought candy with chocolate. Just drop them off at my office. <laughs> I'll take care of that for you. My name is Tim Park. Uh, I serve as our lead pastor, and it is just a joy to worship with you every Sunday. And today is exciting because we start a brand new six-week series that will conclude on Easter Sunday. And I, I get so excited with new sermon series because when we plan out these series, we have kind of a certain idea in mind, but every series that we go through, I'll tell you what, at some point in that series, God takes it and says, you had no idea you know, when you're planning what I was going to do with this series. And so every time we start a new series, I anticipate that God's going to do amazing things. As when we gather together and when we open up his word, he does amazing things. And so for the next six weeks, we'll be in this series that will conclude on Easter Sunday. Today we kick off the series with the title, God of Mercy. God of Mercy. That is our opening title for this six-week series. And as we make our way to Easter, as we prepare to celebrate the risen Lord, we're going to focus all our attention, 100% of our attention, on one single attribute of God. One. And that is God's mercy. The Bible is filled with example after example after example of God's mercy. And the ultimate example of God's mercy was seen, of course, on the cross. And so as we build our way toward the cross and ultimately to the empty tomb, we want to take a close look at many examples throughout both the Old and New Testaments of God's mercy. And this morning what we're going to do is this. We're going to lay a foundation. This whole message is laying a foundation for the series to come. And we're going to take a very close look at this concept of God's mercy. And we're going to understand what it means when we say that God is a merciful God. What it means, of course, ultimately, is because he is merciful, he calls us to be merciful as well. And we're going to explore many, many passages. And I thought it'd be important for us, as we lay the foundation, to begin with a definition of mercy. That's a familiar word to us, but it'll be important for us to have a biblical understanding of mercy. And so here's our working definition, and we're going to come back to this every week throughout this series. So here's how we're going to define mercy. It is compassionate treatment of those in need. Now, I'm going to follow that statement with two specific areas of need. Compassionate treatment of those in need of, one, being forgiven. And compassionate treatment of those in need of, two, being rescued. Those are the two areas of mercy that we're going to focus our attention on throughout this entire series. And what I'm going to do is, for the next several minutes, I'm going to survey a number of passages, both in the Old Testament and New Testament. So, today's a day for you to get your Bibles ready 
And if you have a paper Bible, you're going to start turning a lot of pages. If you have an electronic Bible, you're going to do a lot of tapping. Or if you just want to look up here, hey, that's another option for you as well. So we're going to begin with some passages that speak about compassionate treatment of those in need of being forgiven. We're going to start with that aspect of mercy, forgiveness. Let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2. I'll give you some time to turn there, so go for it. And when you're there, just nod. If you're not there, just shake your head the other way, and I'll wait for you. I got nowhere to go. All right, I'll wait for you. Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2. Here's what the psalmist writes. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. David wrote this psalm after he was confronted by the prophet Nathan because of David's adultery with Bathsheba and because David tried to cover that up by arranging to have her husband killed on the battlefield. If ever somebody needed God's mercy in the Old Testament, it was David. And so he cried out, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. He needed God's forgiveness. Let's go to another passage in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. Isaiah is four books after the Psalms. You've got the Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and then Isaiah begins the prophets. Isaiah 55 Verse 7, let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah to a discouraged people in captivity whose future is uncertain whose life is hard, it's difficult, it's arduous. And here in verse 7 and in the surrounding verses, God provides a path for moving his people from despair and longing to fulfillment and joy. Now let's turn to the New Testament, to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1. Go all the way toward the end of your Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 1. We'll look at verses 15 and 16. The Apostle Paul is writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. And this is what he writes in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. He says, Timothy, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Prior to Paul being saved, he was the worst sinner. 
His words, not mine. I'm not being mean. He himself said, I am the worst of sinners. He was the worst enemy of the church until God turned his life around. So, we've just looked at three passages in the Bible that speak about compassionate treatment of those in need of being what? Forgiven. In each of these cases, they needed forgiveness. David cried out to God, have mercy on me. In Isaiah, the people were instructed to turn from their ways to God, and he would show them mercy. And in 1 Timothy 1, Paul says to Timothy, I am the worst of sinners, but God had mercy on me. Now, before we move to the second aspect of mercy, compassionate treatment of those in need of being rescued, I want to pause. Now, I want to make a distinction between two words, mercy and grace, because it's important that we make this distinction. We often hear those two words in the same sentence. God is a God of mercy and grace. He is God of grace and mercy. He is a gracious and merciful God. Those two words are similar. They're connected, but they are distinct. And so, I thought it'd be important for us to make that distinction because after all, for the next six weeks, all we're going to do is focus on God's mercy. So here's the best way that we can understand the distinction between God's mercy and his grace. Grace is God giving us something we don't deserve. Mercy is God withholding something from us that we do deserve. Again, grace is God giving us something we don't deserve. Mercy is God withholding from us something we do deserve. God graciously gave us eternal life when he saved us. Salvation is free. It's a free gift, amen? It is a free gift. We can't earn it. And God mercifully withheld just punishment. And he spared us. We deserved condemnation. But he spared us. So in a nutshell, God gives us what we don't deserve. He withholds that which we do deserve. Grace is the act of God giving. Mercy is the act of God withholding. That's the difference. Grace is the act of God giving. Mercy is the act of God withholding. So with that distinction now clearly understood, I want to look at some passages that talk about compassionate treatment of those in need of being rescued. We've already covered those in need of being forgiven. Now we're talking about those in need of being rescued. And those here in this camp, it's not because they need to be rescued from sin. We've already covered that here. Yes, absolutely, God rescued us from our sin. But when we talk about compassionate treatment of those in need of being rescued, we're talking specifically about being rescued from distress. Not because of sin, not because of their own sin, but because of the circumstances 
that they are in. Let's go to Matthew 17. We're going to spend some time in Matthew, so go ahead and turn to Matthew 17. I'll look at verses 15 and 16. Matthew 17, starting in verse 15, it says this. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. A seizure can be a frightening thing to experience. A seizure can be a frightening thing to witness. When our son Andrew was very young, he suffered a series of febrile seizures. Now, febrile seizures can occur in otherwise normal children. And febrile seizures, for the most part, are considered harmless. But I got to tell you, when you're witnessing it, it does not look harmless. It's a frightening thing to witness. And the first time it happened, we were driving along. Andrew was in his toddler seat in the back. And I just happened to be driving, and it just happened that I looked in the rearview mirror, and I saw Andrew. And at that moment, I saw his eyes roll back. And I'd never seen that before. And then he started foaming at the mouth. And I quickly turned to Joanne, and she looked back, and, and we stopped the car in panic. And he started to convulse in his chair while continuing to foam, and his eyes were still rolled back. And so we quickly pulled him out of his seat, got him onto the sidewalk, and we were frantic. We had never experienced this. We didn't know what a febrile seizure was. Thankfully, after several hours at the ER, his temperature came down. But in that moment, a parent's only thought is, Lord, please rescue him. Lord, please rescue her. Lord, please rescue me. Compassionate treatment of those in need of being rescued from distress. We're going to continue in Matthew chapter 20. Look at verse 30. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. When they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. During the New Testament era, it was common for people with disabilities to sit by the roadside and ask people for money. And so when the crowds witnessed these two blind men shouting out to Jesus, they said, hey, be quiet. Keep your mouth shut. But they shouted all the louder. And Jesus stopped, and he looked at them, and he asked them, what do you want me to do for you? 
And they answered, we want our sight. And look what happens in verse 34. Verse 34 says this. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight and followed him. Now, when it says that Jesus had compassion on them, it literally means that he entered into their miseries. Keep that in mind. Right there, compassion means Jesus entered into their miseries. It pained his heart. So when you and I show compassion in that same way, we enter into the miseries of our neighbor. We don't just simply say, oh, I feel bad. We feel their pain. That leads us directly to the next passage that we're going to look at. Let's go to Romans. Romans chapter 12. And look at verses 6 through 8. Romans 12. Starting in verse 6, it says this. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Every follower of Jesus Christ has been given at least one spiritual gift. Did you know that? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been gifted. Now, whether we have the gift of mercy or not, everyone is called to show mercy. Okay? I know that some, they, they just have that gift and it's natural, but every one of us is called to show mercy. When I was in graduate school at Talbot School of Theology, I'll never forget, there was this one day our professor taught us this lesson in class. I'll never forget this. He showed us a, a, a cartoon drawing, like a comic strip. And in this drawing, there's this young person standing next to a table, and there's broken glass all over the floor, spilled juice, and the young person's crying. And then there are three captions, bubbles, right? And these three captions depict the attitude of three different kinds of people that are going to the scene. So you see a young person crying, standing next to broken glass and a puddle of juice. So the first caption shows a person running to the scene, and this person thinking, hey, quick, someone get a mop, someone get, grab a trash can, someone get a dustpan, let's get this cleaned up before it stains the ground. This is like the, the worker, the doer. Let's get this thing cleaned up. The second caption shows a person, arms folded, shaking their head and saying, you know, this wouldn't have happened if you had just put that glass in the middle of the table. I think a lot of us can probably relate to that attitude. Hmm. Had you just listened to me, this would not have happened. And then the third caption shows a person rushing to the side of this young person and saying, 
Are you okay? Are you cut? Are you bleeding? How can I help you? Don't worry about that. We'll get to that later. Let's make sure you're okay first. I'll never forget that lesson on compassion. So often we're quick to move and get things done. And oftentimes we're critical. Hmm, had you done this, this would not have happened. Next time you're going to listen to me. But when we show the mercy that God shows us, what we do is we enter into the miseries of our neighbor. And I confess to you, that is not easy. Okay, again, some of you are gifted in mercy. The rest of us, we have to work at it. And it is hard work. I confess it does not come easily and it does not come naturally. And guess what? That's why the Apostle Paul, he exhorted the Colossian believers to proactively, intentionally put on compassion. It takes work. In Colossians 3, in fact, go ahead and turn to Colossians. Colossians 3, verse 12. Colossians is six books after Romans. You've got Romans, and then 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and then you've got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Those are a lot of little letters there, and it can get kind of confusing. When I was a kid, the best way that I remembered the order, and you might have your own little device, I just said, God eats popcorn. Now, I don't know why, but, you know, God eats popcorn. God, Galatians, E, Ephesians, P, Philippians, C, Colossians. God eats popcorn. So that's a little memory device in case you want to ever get those letters straight. So Colossians, chapter 3, verse 12 says this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This is God's instruction for every believer, not just for those who have the gift of mercy. Our attitude should not be, hey, I don't have the gift of mercy, so don't look for compassion over here. That's not my department. Go to that person. No. Every one of us is called to have a genuine concern for others, to care for their needs their hurts, their sorrows. The verse that I just read, I read to you in the New International Version. I want to show you how other translations translate that word compassion. I think it's very fascinating. Take a look up here. The New American Standard Bible says heart of compassion. The English Standard Version says compassionate hearts. The New King James Version, tender mercies. The New Living Translation, tender-hearted mercies. So descriptive, isn't it? They all connect compassion to what? The heart. The heart is intense. Everything about the heart is intense. You know, some years ago, back when our phones 
and social media expanded to beyond just the like button, it was a game changer. When our phones added the heart, when our social media pages added the heart, it was a total game changer. People started loving that heart. So when you see this heart pop up on your phone from the recipient of a text that you just sent, it just melts your heart, right? It's like, because if, if they just give you a like, you're like, what, huh? You didn't like it that I mean, you just only liked it? So, so we want this heart. It's gotten to the point where the like is almost like, eh, obligatory. But a heart, oh, it tells. It tells you something special. The heart is so meaningful. For those of you who know anything about uh, K-dramas or K-pop, the K standing for Korean, this might be a uh, familiar symbol. Okay. This is what's known as the finger heart. Okay. And right now, it is like a worldwide phenomenon. And it's said to have originated from a, a Korean actress in 2010 when she first used this symbol which became known as the, the finger heart. Now, it is all over the world. And guess what? It's now an emoji. Take a look. <laughs> the heart is a powerful symbol. Because the heart is a powerful emotion. And we are called to have a heart of compassion, Colossians 3 tells us. But did you know that in the original language, it was actually not a heart of compassion? In the original language, the term is, you ready? Bowels of compassion. Bowels of compassion. That's right. You see, because the Greeks located the deepest emotions in the intestinal area. We locate them in the heart. The Greeks, no, it's in the lower regions. But if you think about it, we here in our culture, we still connect the two areas, don't we, right? Think about it. Sometimes we'll say, hey, go with your heart. Follow your heart. Or what does your gut tell you? Go with your gut instinct. So we connect the two. And the language of the Greeks, we still use it. And so we're called to have the bowels of compassion. But that doesn't make for a good emoji. So we'll just stick with heart of compassion, okay? And so throughout this series, we're going to talk about what that means to have a heart of compassion. But in our time remaining today, Here's what I want us to know about God's mercies. God's mercies are abundant. God's mercies never expire. And God's mercies are new every morning. I want to say that again. I want you to say that with me. God's mercies are abundant. They never expire. 
and they are new every morning. They are abundant. They will never expire, and they are new every morning. In 1 Peter 1, verse 3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope. When it says great mercy, the word great is a quantitative depiction. His mercy is abundant. It is great. God is not a stingy God. He is not a stingy God. Stinginess is one of the most unattractive qualities in anybody. Praise God that we do not worship a stingy God. Praise God that he did not say, what is the least bare minimum I need to do for these people? He is not a stingy God. His mercies are abundant. They are overflowing. Not only that, they will never expire. In Lamentations 3, in verses 22 and 23, it says this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Have you ever gone to a restaurant with a coupon? You just can't wait to redeem your buy one, get one free deal. So you sit down, you order, you eat your delicious meal, you hand the server your coupon, and the server says, I'm sorry, it's expired. It's a terrible feeling. It's a terrible feeling. We'll never have that feeling with God. You know, there's no ex expiration date on God's mercies. Not only that, did you know that God's mercies are new every morning? And here's what that means. You now we sing about that, we hear that, but what does that mean that his mercies are new every morning? Well, allow me to set the context. When the prophet Jeremiah wrote Lamentations, he wrote it in a time of grief and national mourning. You see, because the once great city of Jerusalem, it fell to Babylon. And so Lamentations contains laments, loud cries for Jerusalem. It's filled with anguish and pain. And yet, in the middle of chapter 3, there's this beautiful section. This beautiful section of confidence and hope. And Jeremiah reminds God's people that God is faithful even in the darkest hour. His mercies are new every morning. So what does that mean, that his mercies are new every morning? Here's what it means. No matter how bad yesterday was, we can look to each day with new hope and new faith. No matter how bad your argument was with a loved one yesterday, no matter how bad your argument was with a loved one yesterday, today's a new day, and God provides new mercies to give you the opportunity to make it right. 
I want you to picture this. Every morning when we wake up, picture God's mercy bucket overflowing. But not with yesterday's leftover mercies, but with brand new mercies for today. Now, I love leftovers. If you know me, you know, hey, you know, send the leftovers home with Tim. He'll eat them. I, I live for leftovers. But nobody wants leftovers as a gift. So every morning when we wake up, God's mercy bucket is overflowing with mercies that are new for that day because yesterday is gone. He won't spend yesterday's leftover mercies on you today. And what that means practically is this, that those new mercies for the new day, they give us hope for that day. And that day only. You see, because when the next day comes, he'll have new mercies then. You know the phrase, take it one day at a time? It's absolutely true. If you are overwhelmed about something that's going to come a week later, don't worry about it because God's mercies are good for that day. And then tomorrow, he'll have new mercies for you. And the next day, new mercies and new mercies. So if you're overwhelmed about a decision a month away, if you don't know what your life is going to be like a year from now, even if today you're feeling overwhelmed, know that God's mercies are new for today. You know what it also means? It means this, that his mercies bring new forgiveness for new sins. Can I say that again? His mercies bring new forgiveness for new sins. So when we wake up in the morning, the reality is this. Very few of us can go an entire day without sinning. Unless maybe you lock yourself in an empty cabin, you leave your phone somewhere else, and you talk to nobody. But for the most of us, the rest of us, very few of us can go a day without sinning. And here's how it usually ends up happening. We wake up, things get going well, we're minding our own business, and then out of nowhere, you're feeling good, but out of nowhere, someone, a loved one, a coworker, a friend, a fellow student, out of nowhere, says something to you and pushes the wrong button. And it triggers a response from you to that person that is not God-honoring. Out of nowhere, you're doing great, but someone says something and boom, we respond and we give in to the temptation. We have to have the final word, the final say. We have to get even. That is why when we wake up every morning, he has new mercies. And he has new forgiveness for new sins for that day. It's a powerful truth. He already knows that we're going to sin. He already knows that we're going to snap back at somebody. 
So he's got mercy waiting for us. And then finally, what it means is this. His mercies give us new strength for new trials. Some of you are going through trials that are unimaginable right now. Maybe you're thinking no one else knows those trials, but God does. And he has a mercy waiting specifically for that trial. Not a leftover mercy. Not a mercy later on. He's got a new mercy for that trial that you're facing that day. I hope that gives you a glimpse into what it means when we say his mercies are new every morning. Amen? He doesn't give us leftovers. No hand-me-downs. His mercies are new every day, every morning. Because we're going to sin. We're going to face trials. And we need hope. We have so much more to say about God's mercies throughout this series. So much more to say. So I invite you back each week as we build upon this message.